This episode is powered by Safety FM. Welcome to the Safety Consultant Podcast. I'm your host, Sheldon Primus. This is the podcast where I teach you the business of being a safety consultant. We talk about OSHA compliance. We also talk about just general environmental health and safety issues. Sometimes I even throw in some stuff like mindset things. You even talk about how to take care of yourself and making sure that you have some self-care before you could give to others. So those are all the stuff that we talk about. So welcome to another episode. As you can tell, I have a different mic right now. I'm on the road again. On the road again? No, I'm going to spare you guys. I'm not going to do that. Nobody needs me singing. Anyway. I'm just going to take right to you guys. It is going to be my conversation with Bryce Sargent, the safety geek. It's been so awesome talking to her. Uh, Brian and I have been friendly for the last few years, and truly, I've learned a lot from her, and I am just very happy to share our conversation with you, where she talks about how she got into um, safety itself, and then Safety Geek, how that developed, and then also we talked about her event that just passed uh, that was helping people become a safety rock star. I was one of the speakers of the event, and I really enjoyed that one. So we talk about those things, and just uh, want you guys just to focus in and just learn from our safety geek friend. And I am truly with her with that safety geek, as you guys can know. So thanks again for bearing with me with my brief intro and the mic situation, but really focus in on this episode with the safety geek, Bry Sargent. Welcome, Safety Bry. How are you? I am wonderful. Thank you so much for having me here. I mean, uh, it's about maybe two years we've been trying to connect, maybe a little bit more. I know. I think it's because we keep trying to connect in person since you do live locally, but you're never local. I'm never local. And I'll be back in Ocala. My niece is getting married in May, so uh, definitely by May. But I think uh, my son just started in um, uh, – he's a gator now. He's he's a UF. Congratulations. (laughs) It's so funny because I keep saying F (laughs) U. But he's at UF. He's a Florida Gator going to PT college. So uh, I'll be there uh, in December. So we, we got to hook up. It's been yeah. so long. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Ocala's growing. You're kind of missing all the stuff that they're adding to our town. You're going to get a Bucky's. That's it. That's that's like no, the I'm best No, I'm more excited right about all the new coffee shops. But okay, sure, Bucky's. <laughs> Bucky's Coffee Shop. Okay. I'm, I'm with you with the coffee shop, though, too. <laughs> so tell us about your uh, your journey into safety. Uh, how did you get into safety? Like, how did like I get truly into safety? It's get so into funny the field? that you asked this because, like, this weekend I was out with my family, of all things, and even they asked me how I got into safety. <laughs> I feel I like I've been telling this story all weekend. Um, so what, what happened was, In another lifetime, I was actually managing a hotel. And when you are a hotel manager, you have to control costs. Uh, 
And one of the costs is insurance costs. So I brought in my insurance company and said, what can I do to bring our costs down? And they helped me implement a safety program. I did not know it was a safety program. They were just telling me to do all these things and I was doing it and I had 80 employees and I was and I wanted to keep them safe. And what I found was that when I did this, not only were my employees happier, my hotel made more money. Like it was so funny how like you implemented the, all these things the insurance company told me to do. It, it The trickle effect was the employees were happy. They were doing things more efficiently. Um, business and quality was amazing. And the hotel made more money. Um, so when I left the hotel industry, I ended up at this um, dairy co-op here in Ocala, actually in Bellevue, um, and working in their AP I know department. That yeah, Southeast yeah. Milk. Yeah, all the yeah. You, you buy milk in Florida, it came from Southeast Milk. And I was working in their AP department, but they were actually getting sued by the EPA at the time. And they were going to trial with the EPA and they needed help getting it all together. So they called me in and I'm like, you need a whole department for safety? That's weird. Like I had no clue what it was. And um they started they they recruited me and I started helping them. And at that time, this was like I don't know, 20 years ago, they were having an accident a day. And I, when I wow. started doing all the stuff to bring the accidents down, I said, oh my gosh, this is what I was doing at the hotel. And the two kind of went together and it is just gone from there. I, within six years or so, I was the director of safety for that organization. And then I moved on to a meat processing plant. So they said I went from milking the cows to killing the cows. No, and, then, um, <laughs> and then I worked for a meat processing plant. And then I moved on to a corporate job where I was a regional safety manager globally, actually. I had 39 locations in the U.S. and 18 in Ireland and the U.K., did you get to travel with those? Yes, yes. I love to travel. Um, it is I would I would travel 33 weeks a year. It was awesome. I got to of oh, course wow. they would send me to Ireland when in the middle of winter when there's only four hours of daylight, but okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Never made it fun, but still. Um yeah. Well you so still I had the I, good food there though. Yes, I know, I know. So. <laughs> you ever anyway. go to Scotland, get some haggis? No, I haven't been to Scotland yet. I need to do that. That's on our list. Yeah. But yeah, so that's, no, that's how I ended awesome. up in safety. And, you know, it's kind of just been in my blood. Even when I was a teenager, I was kind of safety conscious. So I'm just a safety geek all in all. So that's why I named my company The Safety Geek, because so many of my friends were like, you are such a safety geek. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, so uh, when you open up your computer and you get your uh, your homepage, is it like OSHA or, or something like that? Are you that that bad? No, no, no. Because I want to live in the mountains. So it's all mountains and forest and all of that. Everything like, I told you, I want to travel. I just want to be like in an RV and then be in a national park somewhere. Oh, so. man. That's my life. There we go. I know. You're living my dream. You're living my dream. So come on over, Brie. Bri. <laughs> I answer to anything. Everybody calls me Brie. That's crazy. That. You know why? Because uh, I was literally looking at Virgin River. Uh, it's a show on Netflix, yes, and there's a character, Brie, in there. And yeah. <laughs> just, oh, no. Brie was in the Virgin River, so it messed me up. It's okay. <laughs> Not bad. a problem. So yeah, so that's my journey into safety. Um, I've been building safety programs from the ground up for 20 some odd years because every company I work for, they love to buy other companies. <laughs> like every, even when I was at the milk company, they would buy other companies. And then I would have to, and when 
there's new acquisitions, they never consider safety. So after the, mm-hmm. it's all said and done and the dust is settled, they're like, oh, Brian, go check out that company. Let's see how they're doing in compliance. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, so I would have to build safety programs from the ground up over and over and over again. And then when I was a regional safety manager for the mm-hmm. corporation, they actually put me into a role where I trained all their safety managers globally. So for several years, any safety manager that they hired went through my 90 day training as part of their onboarding process. What did you normally find? Like, uh, like when your students took your class and I'm I'm sure you get that, that look from them when they finally get it. Um, what, what do you have any trends that says, you know, uh, this is when they start and they come into me like as a blank slate when they leave the, the connection was this. Yeah, is when they come into can... me, they're generally not coming in as a blank slate. They're coming in as somebody who is told that they have to be the safety police or it's all about the regulations or you have to have policies and procedures and do inspections and follow the regulations. They have these big, long audit forms that have like all the regulations speak laid out. And that's what yeah. they think they need to do. And they also think that when they say something, people are supposed to jump. And that's not, and then where I transition them is like, you see how this is not working for you. Let's get it to work for you because you're working with real people who come to you with a background of different knowledge and experience and parenting. And you have to get past all those habits and use psychology to get them to actually follow you, not listen to your orders. So do you uh no go ahead finish them and then no, I'll, I'll go so, with my thought. I was just going to say um so that's the biggest change that I I try to get people to see and once they actually try it one or two times they're like wait a minute this does work give me more give me more what else can I try? <laughs> So. No. Well, the thought that just came was uh, while you're teaching them these things, is it like, a, like, are you trying to get them to think more of a human and organization's performance? Or are you thinking more of a behavioral based safety at that point? I think it's a combination of both. Right. So I think that I'm, I am not trained in HOP, right? I haven't really looked into it at all. But from my understanding of it, it's looking at like, what can we do as a company to make sure we're setting that employee up for success? And I was trained in behavior-based safety years and years and years ago. And that was more of just positive reinforcement, positive reinforcement. And then as I studied psychology, what I realized is that, yes, you do have to have positive reinforcement, but you can't ignore the negative reinforcement. So there has to be kind of a give and play. So what I have always taught people is that when you're investigating something, when you're setting things up, you have to do it with a mindset of what can we as a company do to set people up for success. But we also have to understand that it's not necessarily complacency. It's not necessarily them wanting to do their own thing. It's our minds get busy and we forget what we're supposed to do. We forget like how many times have we done something that we're like, oh, shoot, I could have that would that could have been a big deal. Right. You know, but we forget even as safety people. So we have to constantly build up those awareness and those habits. And that's what I try to get them to do. And I believe that culture comes from 
from when everybody is involved. And you can't just sit back and wait for people to say, yeah, I want to help with safety. You have to create policies, procedures, systems, and processes that entwine your, your management team and your employees that force them to be involved. Like your procedure forces them to be involved. And then as they're involved, they're going to be more engaged. As they're involved, they're going to give you more buy-in. Everything becomes easier. Yeah. So. And they get to see the process of, of just the activity ends up having results. And then they get more and more buy-in as they see it. And that's yeah. how you're generating uh culture. And uh, I guess you could even drop the, the term safety culture becomes an organizational culture at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Because what I've seen is that it's really easy for us because we're professionals. It's really for easy for us to see a problem and solve that problem and then go to our management team and say, here's how we solve the problem. And everybody just gives you the, the little nodding head. But then when you go to implement it, you're stuck. It's not working. Everyone's pushing back on you. P- people aren't following it or they'll follow it for two weeks and then it all reverts back. Right. That's because you did everything yourself up front. All the stuff you need to do up front is where you need to get all of that collaboration and you have to get all that buy-in and you have to do it in a specific way. Even if they're just nodding, saying yes, that doesn't mean that they're approving of it. (laughs) So what I teach my students is how you actually get true approval of what you're wanting to do. And sometimes it's not what you want to do that gets approved. That's so like the right corrective action is the corrective action that everybody is going to buy into. Not necessarily yeah. what you want to see. So it's all about compromise. Not everybody's going to get everything that they want, but in the end, you'll get the result that you want. So it sounds like a little bit of flexibility for the organization and then compromise with uh, with the safety people who are just trying to get, uh, get well, in my mind, it's they're trying to get their activity done and yeah. they're trying to go through all their checklists and everything else to make sure they're not missing things. Is that what yeah. you find? Yeah. And then I also find like we have a big vision and we see so like the one example I love to use is how where I worked, I wanted electronic onboard recorders for my forklifts for the longest time. Like that was the biggest thing I wanted. (laughs) I was like, I'm so tired because we had a keyless system and I was so tired of people just popping on there and using the forklift and leaving them, you know, where they can they can just be used that way or hitting stuff and us not knowing it. So that's what I wanted. And that's what I thought the solution was, but it really wasn't. When I started working with my team, we worked all the little baby steps. So I said, this is my big vision. This is where I want to go. Here are the milestones that will get me there. And as I worked towards the milestones, what I realized was that my big vision wasn't even needed. So what I thought was a solution was not even needed. When you have your whole team working together and you're changing that culture along the way, you might find a solution that's a compromise in between that actually works. Because once you get to the point where there's no return on investment, because that's where we got to, it just wasn't worth the money to spend $50,000 for uh, recorders for forklifts at the time, because we were already where where we were supposed to be. And even better than that, so... Set the vision, but then as you're working towards the vision, you'll realize you'll get to where you want to go anyway. 
So as you're breaking the steps down and you're thinking it in your brain, you get your, uh, your it sounds like a learning team model where you, uh, in my brain, it looks like probably a, a cross-functional section of the organization. Everybody kind of work it out in a, in a brain trust, if you would. And yeah. then you, you take what that, that meeting is and you break that into steps as the safety officer and guide them. Yeah, yeah. And you give them choices. So a lot of people think that, we're motivated by money, that the human beings and workers are motivated by money. And anytime you say that, they go, I'm motivated by money. Well, yeah. I mean, if I didn't get a paycheck, I, I wouldn't work. Right. But true motivation, like doing things from pe- the right way when people aren't looking is when you have autonomy and when you have pride in your work and when you have purpose. So we try to build that autonomy, pride and purpose into everything we're doing. So that way they're motivated to do it the right way. So instead of saying, yeah. here's the one way to fix this problem, I could say, here's three ways to fix this problem. What do you want to do? So it's not me making the decision. It's them making the decision. And how you come up with those three ways is through collaboration with the people who are the boots on the ground, your employees, your frontline supervisors, maybe your managers. Um, get all of the ideas from them, hash it out before you go for approval with three ideas. And then you go, which one? No, and on the uh, the side that you're on now is as the consultant uh, to companies and and to to well, I guess you you're dealing with the individuals and trying to get them the safety officers to be their their best. So now you're you're in a mentoring coach role uh, yes. as a mentor and a coach. Now, when you have these individuals come to you, chances are they're coming to you because of a crisis, <laughs> or they might be super aware that they need to change in order to advance. So uh, that's that's the two audience that I'm thinking. Is there another one that I'm missing or anything that, no, that makes I, them come to you? Yeah. So, so actually there might be another audience where I also could work for corporations who want their entire teams using the same model. So I've been in talks with several corporations that have, you know, multiple locations and they're like, we love what you're doing. We want everybody to be doing it. So going back to what I used to do, Globally, where I trained all the safety managers for one organization, now I could do that for individual organizations. So they're all using the same model. And then Mm -hmm. I have them go through it, but then have a leader within that organization that will like put their own little twist on it. So that way they're following their own individual corporate policies as well. But my main target audience is the safety manager themselves, because I believe that when you came into this role in safety, you were given an amazing opportunity. We are like the unicorn job out there that nobody knows about because you get promoted into it. And within five to, to 10 years, which statistics say 20 years, but I think you could do it in five years. You could be making a six-figure income without a college degree. What other profession can do that? And when you start looking at different salaries out there, like safety makes more than HR managers. Safety makes more than um, CPAs. (laughs) Safety makes more than accountants. Like, And all of those things, they need certifications to even do those jobs. And here we come along with no college degree, um, no background. We DIY it. We learn it ourselves. And then we could be making six figures. And then it's at that point that you go, okay, now I may need to get a degree so I can get my CSP and I can get my credentials and I can get a director's role and, and all of those things. But I think you can get to those high salaries to support your family and move up in your career without any of that. You just have to learn how to do the job effectively effectively. 
and then really navigate that career journey. I think too many of us stay in one role for too long. (laughs) You need to navigate the journey and play the game so that way you can actually move up and get those jumps in salary as well as experience because you don't want to stay in the same industry in the same business forever because safety is got safety is safety is safety but to to do safety in manufacturing to do safety in distribution to do safety in construction is way different but they have mm-hmm. this similar thread that goes through it so yeah yeah do you see like a like a um do you see maybe pressure on these safety managers to let the numbers dictate what they're doing and the numbers such as the days away restricted transfer rates and the total recordable injury rate and the yeah. experience modification rate. They're always like hyper aware yeah. of those things. So yeah, their actions are short term. That's how their success is measured. And, uh, and yeah. to me, that's, uh, well, except the experience modification rate, the other ones are short term because you're looking at it in a year rating and you're like, what was our numbers last year? We got to get less than those numbers or we have uh, our goal for zero. And mm-hmm. you start to zero campaigns. And, and that seems like it's so much pressure on safety to do, to perform with yeah. the, there's a moniker of of luck that we actually still have to deal with and no one likes to think about that <laughs> yeah well your success is measured on actions that you have no control over my if, if i'm being measured by success for accident rates yes i can train and i can put in policies and procedures and i can coach but i have no authority over the people that are having the accidents the frontline supervisors have authority over them so you're judging me on something i have no control over And that's not fair. So there are ways that you can shift that narrative. And that's what I teach my students because I actually tell them you don't show your claim numbers. You don't show your your TCIR rates or anything like that. But every three to six months, because there's no sense, they don't change anyway. And you just lead every conversation with your leading indicators. And you do that enough, eventually it changes and it shifts and they start seeing the connection. Do you so have it's a, us uh, kind of like filling that prophecy, right? We're being judged uh-huh. by accident numbers, so we're showing accident numbers. But the more you show accident numbers, the more they're going to pay attention to accident numbers. Yep. So stop showing them. Stop showing them. Yeah. Is there um, uh, an index maybe that can be an alternative to that, that is a leading indicator, something that is getting people involved ahead of time and not just reactive? What's What would be an indicator of that? I would say your indicator, so some basic indicators that any organization can use are going to be the number of employees meaningfully engaged in your safety program. That doesn't mean they're showing up to a meeting and just sitting there. I mean, like they are meaningfully engaged. Count them. And what percentage of your staff is meaningfully engaged in safety? How many people are actively participating in your warm-up for work programs, your safety training, all of that, right? How many suggestions and improvement ideas are you getting in on the multitude of ways that people can report hazards or issues at your organization? How many near-miss reports are you getting? Those are How many write-ups, how many safety write-ups are you getting? Because when OSHA comes knocking at your door, one of the first things they ask for are your safety write-ups. A lot of people don't discuss that, but I've had OSHA knock on my door several times. That's like question two or three. (laughs) Let me see your safety write-ups because they believe if you don't have any, you're not enforcing safety. So that's why you should be putting things. Yeah. So those are basics. 
But then you can get down to my, when you do a good hazard assessment at your location, you should be able to identify your leading indicators and leading indicator behaviors. I'm a big advocate for doing assessments um, and actually assessing a department as a whole as to how they're complying with your leading indicators. And then you can use that as a measurement. Oh, awesome. And uh, OSHA does that usually because um, it's it's uh, there's four ways that you could get what's called um, um, uh, when an employee acts and you say, hey, I trained them. <laughs> they know yeah. uh, one of the things that OSHA wants is uh, there's a four uh, four step system legally. And the fourth step is how do you hold your workers accountable? And yeah. so if if you can't prove that you do or at least they could prove that you don't do that, then you don't get legal defense against citation. So mm-hmm. it's, it's strategic. That's why they asked that one. Yeah, but uh, you could be strategic as well, right? So if you actually absolutely. track and trend your write-ups and your verbals and your and your actual written and terminations and whatever from a safety standpoint and then compare it to your assessments and then compare it by supervisor of that department. So I can say um, Warehouse Joe has zero write-ups, his accident rate is through the roof and his assessments are really poor. That's a whole sign that there's something going wrong. But then I yeah. can have like Warehouse Mary where she has, you know, zero write-ups, but really good assessments and no accidents. Well, that's probably accurate as well. But if I have somebody who has zero write-ups and r- a lot of accidents, but really good assessments, then I'm like, wait a minute, there's something going on there. So you can use that data to try to focus your efforts Right. So I used to actually share. I tra- I tracked and trend my safety write-ups. I kept them in a separate file, which don't think like I had a ton of them. You just have a handful. But mm-hmm. you still track them and you trend them and then you compare it as you're looking at that supervisor as a whole. How are they doing? Wow. Yeah. And as you're coaching um, and you're seeing workers or say safety managers and safety uh, professionals as they're trying to navigate how they know they want their company to be. But if their company is not getting there, that might lead to some burnout. So yeah. do you have to coach them through that as well? Yeah, totally. And sometimes they're just never going to get it. But it all starts with a strong foundation with your management team. So actually, like, that's the first thing I take my students through is like, let's build this foundation of creating positive relationships with your employees, your managers, your supervisors, understanding how that company measures success and getting that data from HR, from operations, from quality, from finance, because safety is the only department that positively affects every other department. So you need the data to prove that. So we as safety people are always talking about, well, I save you money by accidents and incidents. We need to change our wording. Every dollar saved is a dollar earned. So I make you money. I don't save you money. I make you money. Now, how else am I making them money? So going back to my hotel days, me putting in that safety program made my company money because we had more hotel stays. We had more positive reviews. We had cheaper labor because people stayed on longer. All of those different ways that we impact, you need to start measuring that. And then you need to build a communication cadence between your employees, your managers, your executives, and then build a system of how you actually do your job that involves all three of them. 
and then um, set up your systems. So that way everybody's involved, but it's that strong foundation of knowing how you provide value and that you are presenting everything you do as a return on investment. Everything you do is how you're making the company money. And when they start to see the value that safety provides, you earn that seat in the C-suite. Because when you are that valuable to the company, they're going to start including you in those conversations. Not just Mm. from a safety standpoint, but from a business standpoint. Because we are one of the unique positions that we know everything going on in the business. We know every department. Operations doesn't know what sales is doing or what merchandising is doing or project management is doing, but we have to know what everybody's doing. So, because we're gauging risk on the individual level. Exactly. So, we are one of the most valuable. That's why, when like the economy goes bad and they start laying off safety people, I'm like, that is the worst thing you could do for your organization. No kidding. They're usually gone first. They're gone first. And and we're hired last as well. And we're hired last. Yep. We're hired last and we're gone first. And yeah, welcome to safety. (laughs) I'm like, if you're going to try to sell somebody to do the job, there you go. But it just doesn't make sense because we actually add to the bottom line. Now, we're not a profit line, but we do add to profit. And we just have to talk that way and we have to show that. I was thinking before, uh, I know we just had some tech issues, but uh, yeah. when did you go from from Bry Sargent to the safety geek? How did that transition uh, happen? Well, it's not a really great story, but <laughs> I'll try to make it interesting. So in 2018, my daughter started high school. And I knew in four years, I was going to be an empty nester. I was a single mom. She was my last one, right? And I was like, what do I want to do? when it is just me left, which I have come to realize that it's never just me. They, they never leave. <laughs> but um, I started that's exploring true. online businesses and I was like, I want to be in an RV. That's that, that was one of my vision. I was like, okay, I want to be in an RV. I want to be traveling the U S possibly live in Australia, New Zealand and the UK occasionally and Costa Rica. Um, So I need to be doing something that is uh, location freedom and I, but I still have to work because that's the type of person I am. (laughs) And uh, and I I had to have something technical, something creative and what can I do? So I was already exploring those types of ideas in 2018. And at the same time, I was scheduled to have knee replacement surgery. So at that time, I was actually not able to walk. Um, I was training safety managers globally from my home. Um, And like at that time, I could stand for maybe 10 minutes a day. And that was about it. It was or 10 minutes at a time. It was about it. That's how bad my knees had gotten. And in February of 2019, I got laid off from my corporate job. But I had surgery scheduled and I wasn't able to walk. And I'm like, great. Okay. And they they gave me a good severance and that's fine. But I was, and then that's the thing when you get a severance too, you can't get unemployment. So I was like, can't really search for a job anyway. So let me try what I was thinking. So I took what I was doing on a corporate level for just that one company and said, let's see if I can put it like to everybody and open it up to everybody. So that's how the safety geek started. It took me a couple of years to get my footing and Mm -hmm. to get over, you know, multiple surgeries and things like that. Um, But I'm loving it. Like I have like picked up other jobs here and there to get the bills paid as I've been building it. 
Yeah. And I've realized, no, I just want to do this. <laughs> I, like I help people with their back end of their websites and I do all of that, but it always comes back to Safety Geek. Like it's just a passion of mine. And it's when I get done with a live Q&A session with my students, I am so pumped and I am so happy to be helping people in their situations. And I love it. So yeah, so that's how it started. And it's just grown from there. And I have visions for the future and adding more courses and more products and things like that. But yeah, that's the wow. same Yeah, that's been really awesome. I've uh, mm-hmm. So if I'm judging the time frame, we might have been connecting when you were just really getting started like a year in or so. Yeah. Yeah. Like I didn't start my podcast until August of 2019 and my first course launched in 2020 perfect timing, like right during the pandemic. Um, So that's when I got my first few students was not until 2020. But every year, it's just been growing from there month over month and getting more and more students. And then um, one of the things I did was I was like, you know what, I want to make my safety management academy like as comprehensive as possible. I want it to be the program that people can come into once they've been in safety for like six months or so, and they can come into and actually build a world-class safety program and move up in their careers. I want it to be not just about their program, but about their careers as well. So that's why I added in that we're going to do a summit. And in that summit, I want to bring in career coaches and leadership coaches and people to help them with their job searching and things like that. So that's how my summit came about was because I was offering it to my students. And I was like, oh, this should be easy. I should just do a summit. And um, so now now we do a summit and uh, we just got done with our first one and it was really great. And now we're going to do another one. But the whole goal of that is to make the program even more comprehensive and to make sure that we're helping the whole person as a safety manager, not just like you're having this one problem with this one employer. It's like, no, let's look at your career as a whole and start building that track record of braggable results. That's what I can help with. Yeah. So and now once or twice a year. I'll also bring in leadership coaches and career coaches and things like that to help you with that part because I have my own thoughts, but let's bring in some experts to help you as well. Yeah, and I love it because it's becoming a safety rock star. Yes, because I believe <laughs> like we all start out as safety grunts and our goal is to be that rock star where they just, you know, you walk into a room and they're all happy to see you. Think about it. Yeah. When a rock star that's walks awesome. into the room, everybody gathers around them, right? And that's, that's what truth. we want to see. We don't want to be repelling people. We want it to be everybody comes together. Oh, man, so. that's awesome. And yeah. uh, so when you get to the, uh, the your, your your product and services that you have, and, and I had uh, Linda Tapp, who Linda was, uh, she's been in uh, ASSP, and I believe she's in a higher leadership now, Uh but when I had her on my show a while ago talking about consulting and everything, she's like, I believe everyone needs a product as well because you can't just uh, people like us yeah. where we're, we have um, we have our job is is not a nine to five type job. So, you know, we've got some insecurity time in there and the high and lows of being our own boss. So uh, mm-hmm. she says we've got to get products. And I noticed yeah. that with your your products and services, helping people 
uh, where now they could take your courses and they don't have to be there at a certain time. Uh, right. So they could be part of the academy, learn on their own pace. And so mm-hmm. it, that seemed like a natural way for you to to share your knowledge. Was that mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that you, you really felt when you got done and saying, all right, I got this academy. Was that like a little check and you're good? Or do you still have to tweak stuff more? Um, I do still have to tweak a little things, a few things in my academy. So just like anybody who creates something, it's never perfect, right? Like you're always like, hey, I want to make this better. I want to do this. That's why the summit came about because I just wanted to make this better. It's why my intensives came about because I wanted to take this piece of the academy and make it bigger, right? Um, So you're always tweaking it. And you just have to resist that because like I've actually gone through my academy again going, okay, what do I need to fix? And I'm like, I go through and I'm like, wow, this is like really good material. So <laughs> as you're creating something, right, like you're creating a program that you're going to then maybe sell passively like like I do with my digital courses, um, you have to resist the not tweaking it. So where I spend a lot of my time, you know, speaking to the businesses that are out there and not the safety managers that are out there. So if you're building a business where I spend a lot of my time in my business is um, getting like tweaking the machine, like making sure that people know I exist and that I'm putting them that I'm getting the right people into my into my business that are, I can actually help because it does me no good to attract people that are already VPs of safety or directors of safety, right? I want to attract the people that are six months to three years in that are starting to feel the overwhelm because that's who I can help the most. I have a lot of directors in my business, in my, in my course, in my, in my academy. And they, they're, they're the ones that are just like, yeah, I got a lot out of it, but they didn't really make any changes because they're already set in their ways because they've been doing this for 20 years. I like to get the people that like, instead of you waiting 20 years to get started, let me help you shortcut and make it quicker for you. So that way you can get to a director's position in five years and not 20 years. So that's where I spend a lot of time with my business. So I do believe, like you said, that she said about having a product, you do need to have something. It could be a book. It could be a course. It could be a membership, something that is scalable because as a consultant, you're one person, right? You're, you, you can only do as much as one person can do. But when you have yeah. something that is self-paced that people do on their own, then that becomes scalable. What makes my academy different is that they also get live sessions with me. I do 12, 24, let me see. I do 16 live sessions a year. So they can just hop on live. Plus, we have a community where I can answer questions for them and I'll record video responses and things like that as well. So that way they get the live support, coaching and mentoring. And it's um, more of a group setting. So. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So I know that I've, I've, I've stolen a whole bunch of your time as well as even tech time that we had. <laughs> so tell everybody, you know, how do they reach out to the safety geek? So I would go to thesafetygeek.com. Don't forget the the and um, click on the button at the top there that says free course. I have an amazing free course that takes you through the safety management cycle as well as other things to consider as you're managing a safety program. So that would be the best way. And you can find me on all the socials. Just do a search for the safety geek. I'm literally everywhere. Everywhere, (laughs) (laughs) which is great. And I personally want to thank you for asking me and inviting me to be part of your 
speakers for the Becoming a Safety Rockstar Summit, the first one. So yes, the very I, first one. And I loved your <laughs> session. I was literally like, I can't even tell you how many times I like laughed out loud with some of the stuff you said. And I was like, oh, that's so cute. <laughs> but yeah, yeah you're one of our top sessions. So thank you so much. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh. A lot of people got a lot out of it. And I think that's it's important cool. because they need to see I think safety managers need to see where they can take this career. It's like they just see their employer and they don't see like, no, you can actually take this outside your employer and become a consultant. Like I had somebody I was talking to that they were like it during the summit and they were like, should I get my CSP? And I was like, you know what? You should just teach. You're you're a certified trainer. You should just teach. You should go get your 501 and you should go work for the OTI centers and you should. And he never considered that. And I was like, and then when you retire, because he was only a couple of years from retirement, I was like, and then when you retire, you have that as your side hustle. So I think having getting people to understand where this career can take you, this unicorn career that you have. But I love the fact that you were like, if you want to be a consultant, you need to have these things in place. And it's like, yeah, you do have to have the experience, which is what I can help you with. But then as you're growing in your career, Sheldon can help you set up that consultancy and have all these different things that you need to do. So, wow. Well, thank you. That love that work. Oh, that's awesome. Well, yeah. you rock. And oh, I am so happy we finally got able to connect and, uh, and oh, tell everybody how to find your podcast too. I am on everything. It's the Safety Geek Podcast. I keep everything easy to find. Um, I know I'm on iTunes. I'm on Spotify. I'm on Google Play, which I think is going away. I'm on every, I'm everywhere that you could be. All right. And if you're setting up your safety consultant business and you need and you're struggling with the back end stuff, just reach out to me. I can help you with that, too. Yes. Back end, all the web stuff and everything else, because you got to be able to do some other your your um, your talents. And since you've got talent in that, you know, that's great. People may need that. So thank you so much for being part of the 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 show. And I am just, you know, just elated to have you here. So thank you so much. All right. Well, you have a wonderful rest of your day. All right. You have a great day, too, Sheldon. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. This episode has been powered by Safety FM. Watch out! The views and opinions expressed on this podcast or broadcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within the past hour are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast or broadcast may be reproduced, stored within a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast or broadcast, Sheldon Primus.